You're listening to Crossings Conversations from Church Divinity School of the Pacific, a show about leaders creating Christian community and sharing God's love. Hi, this is Kyle. Welcome back. If this is your first time listening, I suggest you go back to episode one uh, to hear the little spiel about what we're up to here. But the short version is that we are talking about leadership formation with some folks throughout the Episcopal Church who have a lot to say about that. In this episode, we'll be talking to Bishop Dion Johnson of the Diocese of Missouri. And we had a great conversation, especially about how the pandemic is bringing out creativity and accelerating new ministry models. Hope you enjoy the show. This is Kyle Oliver, Communications and Marketing Manager at Church Divinity School of the Pacific, and I'm here with the Right Reverend Dion Johnson of the Diocese of Missouri. Bishop Dion, thanks so much for being with us. Ah, well, thank you for having me. So uh, this is a conversation about uh, leadership formation uh, from from lots of different perspectives, uh, and I know that you've been a bishop for a, a relatively short time, so I encourage you to think about this question and um, it, sort of in whatever way um, makes sense. Um, but in the time that you've been, um, you know, serving uh, as priest, as bishop, um, how has your thinking about about leadership formation changed? Well, specifically, I've, I've been a bishop now for three months and 10 days. Not that I'm counting. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I've been a priest for 16 years. So um, one of the things that I think has changed in the leadership um, primarily in the church, is the realization that the priest or the, the clergy person by themselves, that model is slowly dying. Um, I, I think we're realizing that to put a priest in one congregation or one ministry context and expecting that somehow miracles are going to happen um, is unrealistic. I mean, if you look at Jesus, I mean, he sent his disciples out in twos. Um, and so I think some of the new models that we might have to look at are clergy working in conjunction with rather than on their own. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. And um, are there are there particular models that um, that seem promising to you in that regard? One of the things that we're beginning to experiment with here in the Diocese of Missouri is a regional model. Mm. We're a group of churches um, at the churches are served by multiple clergy working as a team rather than one clergy person being assigned to the congregation. The clergy are assigned to that region. And so the deacon, the priest, and the lay folks work in conjunction looking at the area rather than just this specific congregation. Mm-hmm. Um, we're in the early stages of kind of planning and figuring out what that looks like, but um, there's lots of excitement looking at that new model because what it does is it, it stops the clergy person from feeling like, you know, you have to produce, <laughs> you know, yeah. if your congregation isn't growing, you're yeah. not doing something. Yeah, it's so on you. It's on you where, you know, a team can look at a, a situation, look at a congregation, look at a ministry area and say, where can our resources, where can our time, where can our energy be focused um, in ministry? Yeah, uh, it, um, you're mentioning that is reminding me of a conversation I had with a colleague um, quite a few years ago now, um, a guy named Jason Evans, church planner. He's in um, Dust of uh, Texas now. And, you know, he said something like, I think we've been doing this all wrong. Again, like Jesus sent out pe- people out two by two. What would it be like if if church planters 
Um, and I think he even said like as friends, as friends and colleagues, like went out to do that work together and to carry that together. And I just remember feeling this, I mean, I'm not a church planner, but even just hearing him talk about that, I just remember my shoulders kind of eased a little bit. And I just thought that just makes so much sense. Well, it, it, it puts us in a very missionary mind mm. um, because, I mean, we didn't send out missionaries by themselves. You know, we usually pack them. I mean, if you, if you go all the way back, we pack them on a ship with their family and another, you know, two or three missionaries and they're off yeah. to go do their things. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, we do that in every other aspect except yeah. when we come to ministry. I mean, we, we say like the vestry is a team. Um, diocesan convention, general convention, you know, we do this team and group thinking. Mm -hmm. But yet when we come to the basic unit of the Episcopal Church, which is a, a congregation, we go, oh, well, you're by yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um, And we can make the argument, well, yes, that clergy are working in tandem with the vestry and the lay leadership, but it's not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, if you look at most um perhaps like program or corporate sized congregations, there's multiple clergy working together and people seem to be a lot happier in those teams because you, you can walk down the hall to a clergy colleague and um, in this virtual world, you can, <laughs> you can zoom down the hall yeah. <laughs> with a, um, a colleague and have a conversation about something that specific. Mm-hmm. And so looking at a region to me um, is a way that we can shape our leaders for for both success in their ministry um, and for the communities that they're serving. Yeah, yeah, well, that's so helpful. Thank you. I'm curious if if there are some stories of sort of like new leadership in your context that you're hearing that are making you um, hopeful for the future of the church. Well, one of the very hopeful things for me is seeing the creativity that mm-hmm. um, our both clergy and lay leaders have undertaken in the midst of this pandemic. I mean. Mm-hmm. Who would have thought that the Episcopal Church would be online, that all the clergy, well, not all, most of the clergy would be televangelists or Zoom evangelists, if you want to call it, or Facebook evangelists, um, and that folks would be wanting to continue this even after this is all done. Yeah. Um, one of the most one of the most um, joyful moments for me recently is at a visitation, which was you know ten people in the room or something, um, and the senior warden who was eighty five um, came up to me to to admonish me to say you know when we're when we're back in person we need to continue to do this live streaming thing because you know people need to people need to be connected and I, talk about things you never thought you would hear. Yeah. In the Episcopal Church, that people want to have live stream and Zoom coffee hour and all of this stuff. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I think that's happening is that we're we're seeing a set of pent up um, creativity. Mm. I think we're also seeing a lot of opportunity to do something different. I mean, I've had more conver- more con- conversations with congregations wanting to go. You know what? Maybe it's time to rip out our pews and make our space flexible. Maybe wow. it's time for us to, you know, to rethink what we're doing with our building. Um, and so that's been energizing. I mean, these, these are conversations we probably should have been having 20 years ago. Um, but I guess in pandemic, you never waste a good crisis. Oh, that's that's really cool. So are, are some congregations going forward with some of that or is it early? Yes. Early I mean, I, I, there's a recognition, I think, that we're going to be living in a hybrid world. Mm. Um, I mean, if there's a... a vaccine for COVID-19 tomorrow and we're all back in church by Easter, you know, we're still going to be needing to live stream. 
we're going to recognize that we don't have to go drive, you know, 90 miles to have a meeting that lasts 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're, I, I suspect that the long-term ramifications and the creativity that's going to come out of this um, is going to be a boost for the church. Mm-hmm. If we if if we lean into it, I mean that my, my my fear is that we just kind of go okay, pandemic over, we're done. Let's go back to how we were. Yeah. And um, the, the language I've been using here in the diocese of Missouri is we have to prepare for our next normal. Our next normal. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm I'm curious. Uh, you know, I I've been involved over the years in lots of you know sort of hybrid initiatives and stuff. And one of the questions you always get from folks is, um, well, is that is that going to take away from what happens in person? If we're live streaming, is that going to somehow like diminish our, you know, sort of gathering? Are you are you hearing that? And if so, what are you what are you saying to folks? Well, I think there's some folks that are worried about, you know, what does an online live stream worship actually do? Mm. Um, I mean, the, the thing is, as Episcopalians, we are incarnational. You know, we like to touch, to see, to feel, you know, we like to be in a room. We like to hug. We like to shake hands. We like, you know, our Sunday worship is a big dining room with a meal. Mm-hmm. So we are, we are incarnational. We like the tactile stuff. Um, and so there's obviously some fear of, you know, you can't do that while you're sitting behind the computer screen or on your phone. Um, and there's some people who are obviously expressing that fear. But at the same time, um we recognize that, you know, if I can't make it to church this morning because I have X, Y, I'm sick in bed, mm. but I can still feel connected to my worshiping community by zooming in or watching it on um, a live stream. Mm. I think that people are going to find that invaluable. I mean, you don't have people sit at home in their pajamas for six months and go and go to church in pajamas for six months and not <laughs> expect yeah. that they're going to, they're going to want to do that every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that, that person who's sick in bed, like that's an incarnational experience as well. Exactly. And, and here's a place where the, you know, where the good news can meet that reality also. Well, I mean, I've gotten emails um, from folks because we, we've been trying to make sure we highlight different live streams across the diocese. And I've gotten emails from people, um, particularly those who are elderly, um, who, who have discovered their iPad can now connect them to church. Yeah. Um, who've been saying, you know, it's so good to see my childhood church. You know, I'm, I'm sick and I, I can't leave the nursing home. I can't get out of my house. I, I don't want to leave my house. And it feels so good to feel connected. Um, yeah. So that those type of stories have been tremendously heartening. I want to invite you to think big now. Um, <laughs> if you were to commission or maybe team teach, uh, but if you were, if you were to, to sort of think up, um, some kind of, you know, special topics course, any course and any instructor uh, for today's <laughs> seminarians, you know, sky's the limit. You can get whoever you want to teach whatever you want. Um, what's, uh, what's your pitch for that? Ooh, I see you go with easy questions. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I honestly think one of the things that sometimes is missing in our communities is that sense of just deep abiding joy. So if I had to think of uh, two, inst- I would go with two instructors, Okay. Um, the Dalai Lama mm. and Esmond Tutu, because they did the collaboration on that book of joy, oh, yeah. uh-huh. have the two, put the two of them in a room to teach folks how to just find their joy. Mm. Mm. What's um, in, in your own ministry? How have you, uh, how have you tried to um, 
draw that message and that and that way of being uh, out in communities. Well, I'm I'm an eternal optimist. Mm. I'm not naive, but I'm an eternal optimist. <laughs> and I mean, I I'm one of those crazy people who believe that the best years of the church is ahead of us. Mm. That we we spent way too much time looking back and pining about what has been mm. instead of dreaming big about what can be. Mm. Um, and I mean, I've I've been in way too many meetings um, as a priest where I've been hearing people bemoaning the fact that the megachurch moved in and you know it's doing so well and why can't we? Um, and it's kind of like you have everything that you need right here. Mm. You're just looking backwards at what had been rather than using the gifts that and gifts and skills that God gave you right now. Mm. Um, and I mean, for me, church is supposed to be the place where you come to find that good news. I mean, it's called a gospel for a reason. It, it is yeah. good news. And if on Sunday morning and you can't proclaim it like good news, stay home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. We do want to talk about um, changes that, uh, that perhaps we should be, uh, that we should be making and how we form leaders. If there was one change that, um, you know, the pragmatics were no question and you could, you could make it happen. Um, one change to how we train leaders that would make a, a positive difference for for the Episcopal Church. What do you think that would be? I think we would probably train train them for the church that we're serving now, and not the church that was in 1950. Mm, mm. Um, I mean, my, don't get me wrong. I loved my seminary education. Um, it was an amazingly formative time for me. Um, but then when I hit the ground, mm. I realized I was formed for a church that no longer exists. Mm. Um, and my colleagues were formed for churches that were no longer existing. One of the things for me that I've realized is that the church for years was concerned about right theology. Mm. We had to get a theology of everything right. Um, and we were educating the head, the mind. And with the advent of social media, with Google, folks can Google transubstantiation and cops. I mean, they can find all those, those theological concepts and they're going to come with their own theories and thinking on their own. Hmm. What we've neglected is the, the stirring of the heart as Charles Wesley called it. Yeah. Um, that church should be a worshipful experience that we, we should be able to connect to the divine, that we should have something transcendent when we gather together. You can't Google transcendent. Mm. You mm -hmm. can't Google that feeling of awe. I mean, yeah. I like um, Marianne Williamson's, um, you know, the three type of prayers that we offer are, mm. you know, help, thank you, and awe. Yeah, yeah. And we are we are called, I think, as the church to form leaders that can give that sense of awe, yeah. um, that folks are in the set presence of the divine. Um, we also need some of the practical stuff, like, you know, how to, how to engage social media, how to, how to have conversations, difficult conversations with vestries, you know, you know, the, the, the type of stuff, how, how do you actually lead people to, to a different way of thinking and being? Mm -hmm. um, we need those practical things. But I think ultimately it stems from that experience of something transcendent. That this is not, you know, when you step across that threshold, whether it's physical or not, that you're stepping into something that's transcendent. Mm -hmm. um, and that transcendency should be accompanied with a joy. You talked about forming folks for the church as it is. And I think we're, we're starting to get this picture, you know, we've got, you know, it's a, it's a joyful church, um, uh, uh, experiencing th this, uh, transcendent sense of God's presence. 
um, perhaps uh, led by folks uh, collaboratively working across different regions. Um, what are some other kind of like marks of 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 what this church of of now uh, or or of what's to come, you know, looks like for you? I think it's a, a church that is confident in telling its story. Mm. Um, we as Episcopalians are really good at keeping the church and what we do in church a secret. <laughs> we will talk about everything except what we do in church. Mm. Um, and I think part of that is that um, both lay and sometimes the clergy um, aren't comfortable with just sharing their story. Mm. Um, what, I've, what I've been saying here is, you know, if we find a really good restaurant, when you could go to restaurants, um, we go tell everybody, you yeah. know, whenever you meet your friends, the first thing you do is like, oh, you have got to go to, you know, the restaurant, the food was really good or whatnot. Um, but we don't do the same thing about our churches or the communities that we serve. Um, we don't say, I mean, I always love the idea that on a Monday morning, if a friend asks, you know, how was your weekend? That you can say, you know, the sermon on Sunday was just absolutely amazing or the choir was amazing or, you know, we had um, the, the youth led the service and they did a fantastic job. Um, I, I think being able to just tell the stories of those good news. I mean, one of the one of the joys I um, had when I was in parish ministry was hearing being a, a fly on the wall in a conversation, hmm. hearing one of our young people who was in their teens tell another teen young person that was visiting about what it felt like to go through right 13 hmm. that, you know, it's like, it's this amazing experience. And, you know, the whole congregation was around me and they put their hands on, uh, on me. And I felt like so much love. And I mean, hearing a 14 year old tell that to another 14 year old friend hmm. who does not necessarily normally come to church hmm. for me was there's the church at its best. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Do you think that this hesitance is is about a kind of shyness from you know from a sense of, of religion being a public thing or like where do you think where do you think that comes from that that sort of hesitation? Well, I think it comes from what I call um, bullying spirituality. <laughs> you know, those folks that show up at your door and you know threaten you with you know if have you found Jesus or you know if, if I mean I, I saw a billboard the other day you know do you know we are going to spend eternity smoking or non-smoking? <laughs> I mean, it was a really terrible joke. Yeah, yeah, the point was the same. It's kind of Christianity has a public relations problem. Mm -hmm. And I think that we buy into it quite well. Um, and I, but I think the challenge that we face is that we have to change the narrative. Um, the popular culture of Christianity, that popular narrative, um, is not universal. Mm -hmm. Um, the best evangelism is simply sharing your story with another and inviting them into that story. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, it, it it's, I think the hesitancy comes from we don't want to be perceived as those people and you can do quote unquote those people <laughs> because we know who we're talking about. Yeah. And and we should if we're going to if we're going to try to differentiate in that way, we should differentiate through through sharing and through joy and exactly and, and not through silence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bullying doesn't work. And silence certainly doesn't work. <laughs> Sharing the good news, the joy that you have to share, I think is where, where, where we're at. Yeah, yeah, amen. Well, 
as we wrap up here, I'm I'm curious uh, what what other advice you might share with a seminary that is um, you know contemplating its future mission and and future role. What would what would you have us uh, think about in the years ahead? Well, I think a big piece of what um, what seminaries could contemplate is looking beyond um, the place where your uh, where students graduate. Mm. Looking per- particularly to, I don't want to say re-educate, but to continue to educate um, clergy, yeah, um, to, to offer opportunities. I mean, and I know that there are graduate opportunities and stuff like that, but it's offering opportunities from a distance sometimes that folks can come back and do a refresher on like what's the most recent theology on this, what's the most recent stuff on being a missional society, uh, missional um, church. Our seminaries are our incubators. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think a lot of the times we think that once you're out of seminary, you're done. Yeah, yeah. I think the I, I think the seminaries have a really good role in playing in continuing that process of incubating. Yeah, yeah. And if if our theology is that the people we're serving are on these lifelong journeys of faith, why would it be any different for us as leaders? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well. Bishop Dion, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to be with us, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, what folks, uh, how folks respond to uh, to the contributions you've shared. Thank you so much. Awesome. Well, thank you so very much, and bless you for what you're doing and highlighting all of this across the church. Crossings Conversations is a co-production of Church Divinity School of the Pacific and Trinity Church Wall Street. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or share it with a colleague. You can learn more about the only Episcopal Seminary on the West Coast and subscribe to Crossings Magazine at cdsp.edu.